Today is August 25th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki Naganago Mekoche Chestokom Aki or Dekot Negotine Siku. My name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. I'm speaking to you on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S. Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September the 22nd, 1877, with signatures that include of the Stoney and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nations, Métis, Inuit, status, and non-status across our partners with the government signing on your behalf. It's really important to acknowledge that the straight agenda and gendered violence was and is forced on this land by Christian outsiders. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as the guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner in a so-called time of reconciliation. It's important that land acknowledgements have meaning. I encourage all folks to introduce themselves with acknowledgement of their ancestors, stories of displacement, how you perceive your role as a treaty partner, a citizen of Canada, a refugee, or other land displacement, so we as Indigenous people know how safe you are to be around. If you don't know how to pronounce your local Indigenous nation's name, won't say your pronouns, won't say your story of origin, won't acknowledge stolen lands, won't acknowledge imposed economic oppression or your role in reconciliation, I determine how safe you are to be around my community, my family, and myself. Understanding land acknowledgements and their importance is Indigenous 101, because it immediately addresses colonial um, colonialism, oppression dynamics, broken treaties, and lies taught today in Canadian schools nationally. That's why settlers and those who call themselves native Calgarians, or whatever town you're from, show me that you have no Indigenous 101. Jesse Wente's book, Unreconciled, chapters 13 and pages 180 and 181, explain it perfectly if you are confused. I was recently at uh, uh, an event and the MP, the MLA, and the city councillor were all acknowledged, but the person who came out to do the land acknowledgement wasn't. So that just showed me that this community association had no concept whatsoever of the importance of land acknowledgements and that it should be going in, the, in that order of land acknowledgement, understanding your role to the uh, Treaty 7, thanking them, thanking your MLA, thanking your MPs, and so on and so forth. Anyway, my Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Great Bear Lake Tribe in Treaty 11. My people wore rabbit skin, so we've been referred to the land of the hair people. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Pinchotine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning mini big dog town, named after the Calgary Stampede. I was born in Calgary, or Blackfoot Mokistis, as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. Through my father, I'm a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution, while having an Indian, an Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government. That's a colonial construct by Canadian poli policies meant to divide Indigenous peoples' inherent rights. Indigenous Two-Spirit or the Indigenous 2SLGBTQ plus community and Indigenous women are at the bottom of the socio-economic ladder because of colonial trauma, imposed poverty, racism, gendered violence, and land theft by Canada. As a Dene woman who attempted to run after those uh, joining harmful colonial parties, spending money to be at expensive conventions, leaving my home to travel to them, just to vote on incomplete policies that still allow incarceration and denial of justice, denial of health services, racism, colonial trauma, and genocide of Indigenous and Black peoples, 
I have worked to continue to do reports to advocate for and attempt to work within these systems meant to harm me and my community. I can't say have a great pride when I know my community is dying from current drug policies, systems of imposed Christian-based uh, drug policies, abstinence programs, um, private healthcare, justice systems built on racism, land theft, and imposed British constructs that continue genocide on Indigenous peoples. There's so many uh, folks that we have to honor every single day. Every single day, there's somebody new in the, in the news that we have to honor. Uh, now there's a new man from um, Winnipeg that was in Vancouver for five minutes and the police just killed him. You know, these are the people I want to honor every day. I want to see, I want you to see your role in the importance of stopping harm as a citizen and see your role in reconciliation. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Blackfoot and Leonard Kenny taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Satu Dene. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot and Dene elders, language keepers, as I try to learn proper pronunciations. Any mistakes or misinterpretations about the whole podcast will be on me. Uh, I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share my journey as I walk the Red Road. I've been accused of not being kind while surviving genocide. And I've given free book clubs, podcasts, and info on my social media for years, as have many others. So at this point, it's just willful to be ignorant on these issues. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give, love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or your questions. Also, giving a review helps on whatever medium you're listening from. I have a YouTube channel where you can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. Well, I'm super excited because I have uh, two of my friends here on Native Calgarian returning guests. So would you like to introduce yourself first, Autumn, and then Melrose? Okay. Thank you, Michelle. Um, Oki, uh, good morning. Hello, everyone. Um, hi, everybody. My name is Bluebird Woman. Um, my English colonial name uh, that was given to me is Autumn Eagle Speaker. Um, my traditional name was given to me by my grandmother, the late Leona Eagle Speaker. Um, my sister and I uh, are from the Gaina First Nation or the Blood Tribe, which is approximately two and a half hours south of Calgary. Um, today, I join you from the outside lands of the Bikani Nation, um, where I am married into, um, and I am a bit of, I call myself a Renaissance woman, because I do a little bit of this, I do a little bit of that, a lot of activism, community engagement, um, community work, um, and have just been a, <clears throat> around the Calgary community, Aboriginal community, in, Indigenous community, excuse me, for well over 25 years, um, volunteering and just being part of things. And in my other time, I am a returning full-time student, a mother of six, and a junior entrepreneur, because I'm a slow artist. <laughs> I'll let my sister go. <laughs> I love that. So does that make me a fast artist? Yes, <laughs> that makes you a machine. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, so I'm Melreen Saloy Eagle Speaker. Um, I reside here in Wilkinsis. Like Autumn said, we're from Gina, um, which is 
a blood tribe from southern Alberta. Um, <clears throat> pardon my little chihuahuas are jumping all over me. <laughs> um, I am a mother of two. I am a entrepreneur or a fast artist, as Otto says. Um, I make First Nations beaded jewelry and accessories. My business is Native Diva Creations, and I've been doing that for seven years. And together, me and Autumn do the Authentically Indigenous Craft Show and Marketplace here in Mokensis for the last almost seven years now. And we've been doing some amazing things to help other entrepreneurs on their small journeys and trying to help them give them space. So that's kind of our, our, our joint venture together. Awesome. You know, um, one of the things I've been wanting to talk to you about, because Autumn, once upon a time, you were a liberal, and right now it's policy, <laughs> and the thing that upsets me the most is non-Indigenous people somehow saying they have authentic Indigenous art, and it's half the time made in China, and it really upsets me, but obviously it probably upsets you a little more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, that was that's really what the foundation of our show, actually. I mean, my sister and my we come from a long line of crafters and artists, and we've always gone to a lot of different craft events to support and to go to different markets and see. And we went to one of the large markets in Calgary, and there was like hundreds and hundreds of booths and one in one first nations ish booth and it was you know it was again stuff made in china and it was sold by i think it was a, a, like a chinese guy with a ponytail um you know who was selling authentic um indigenous goods you know and it's like this is so wrong and then just the the cost to be able to participate in these large markets was just like astronomical and so at the time, my sister was just beginning um, in her entrepreneurial journey as an artist and as a business. And so we took both of our combined skills because um, part of the other things I do is some event planning. Um, I've uh, planned the University of Calgary's um, Aboriginal graduation powwow I did it for 13 years prior to COVID. Um, so we combined our uh, knowledge and efforts and skills to create the very first authentically indigenous craft market which took place in the holiday season of 2015 um, and that was the idea for to make sure that we were giving um, space to indigenous artists to come and sell their goods but also making sure that we weren't trying to profit off of them yes that's one of the big things that we've done from the beginning is ensure that the market is very affordable for, to everybody from all walks of life. So if you're just a slow artist like me or, you know, somebody who knits, um, you know, just makes a few things or someone who is an amazing fast artist and has a, a huge business, we want to create opportunity for everybody to have that space. Who and is so that actually is the indigenous. Of our indigenous. 100% yeah. indigenous. Indigenous run, indigenous led, and indigenous artists are being promoted and showcased, right? Yeah. So, like my sister said in the beginning years of my business, you know, I was going to these markets and me setting up, I'm like, it's $1,500 for me to be here for two days, you know, or it's like $900 for a day. And I'm like, how is anybody affording this? And then I'm going and I'm like, okay, I just barely made it to get in here. Why aren't there any other Indigenous artists? I could have named like 20. I'm like, I know so many. Where are people? And really seeing the barriers firsthand 
what artists are going through. You know, you know, the struggling artist is real. You know, it's it's a very much a real thing. And you know, never mind just the venue, being there all day, having food. If you have children, can you bring them with you? Do you have to find childcare? So that nine hundred to fifteen hundred easily turns into a couple grand, like in a few seconds. And that's if you make that back. So it's such a gamble, such a risk. And we wanted to make sure that there was accessibility for artists to have a showcase and promotion and were able to sell their goods and they were able to make a hundred percent of their profit. Mm, so yeah. like, like Adam said, we've made it very, very low cost because we want that accessibility. And with us having that low price, we have so many, like a huge variety of artists. You know, um, because we have that low price, it makes it easier for artists to come in, that, like Autumn said, that just have a few things. And like they might sell one thing, it covers their table and anything else is profit. And they're able to make the network of community as well. And it's so important for artists to have that network and make sure that they can connect with other artists and learn from each other. And like I have such a huge vendor family is what I call it. And, you know, we share information and other shows and, you know, this is working for me or how do you how do you take transactions and, you know, do you use this? Do you use that? And, you know, really making that knowledge shared because um, again, another large barrier is going to these large organizations and looking for funding, um, looking for grant writing, you know, all those little things that go into starting a business are really, really hard to access. And so being authentic is a hundred percent what we're all about. Mm. And I'm just going to say like you guys were you bent over backwards to let me be at one of your craft stores too, um, one of the shows, and you gave me a small table to try to promote native Calgarian because mm -hmm. um, to me it, it's about, you know, trying to talk about what's going on locally. But it's also about connecting with a lot of the local artists that you're talking about and we want to showcase it like you're going to like Milan, darling, and New York, and all of these places. And I'm like, what? What is going on? And I'm really, really happy. Um, CBC actually did a showcase on some of the, the incredible places that you're going, as rightfully so. Like you you and many folks here are like international artists, and, and I don't think it gets praised enough. And if you were a white man, I think you'd have a freaking bridge named after you. Maybe a statue <laughs> would go up. For sure. Yeah, no, I'm excited. It was like, it was a great interview and stuff to do. And I was really happy to promote, you know, what my business has been able to accomplish over the last couple of years. I mean, I've been able to do some amazing things and really check off those big bucket buckets, you know, on my bucket list and, you know, kind of take my stuff international and mainstream. And I really want to help open those doors because there aren't any really right now. And, you know, a lot of us local artists here in Mokinsis are doing some amazing things and we're able to do that. So, you know, we want to bring everybody along with us and our show helps do that as well. Like yeah. it really, really does because people are able to see what other artists are doing and what's, what they can also do if they try to, that it's, it's, it's believable. It's realistic. How do we start tackling the fact that there's so many non-Indigenous people trying to profit off of the term Indigenous and yet, you know, so they've they got stolen land, economic, um, you know, um, leg up, <laughs> all of these things. Now, they don't have the intergenerational trauma imposed on Indigenous people, but yet they uh, somehow get away with calling themselves Indigenous, um, you know, art or, or selling Indigenous art. Like, how do we even start tackling this? Because I know in the States they have a bill. Um, that kind of prevents it, but I don't know how effective it is. And I mean, the laws in the States are just different than Canada. 
Yeah, I think, well, I think also internationally, I feel like New Zealand, Australia may have similar laws and policies around um, labeling of Indigenous work or Aboriginal work. And I think that's really a good place to maybe, um, you know, start from, for mm -hmm. from the government perspective. Um, you know, to take that initiative to say that, yes, we support our Indigenous people, our Indigenous artists by ensuring the protection of their work, their copyright and their trade and ensuring that, you know, people aren't able to easily access these government dollars that are supposed to go to support Indigenous artists and organizations. And then that's the problem is that there, you know, are some little loopholes that exist that people find out and manipulate, monopolize, excuse me, in the system. And, you know, it's unfortunate that happens, and I'm sure that it happens in many different cases. Um, but I mean, it goes into that whole idea of Indigenous 101. It's asking those questions to understand the organization who is the organization who are the people that are the board of directors who are the people that are running the organization and what is their intention you know if you're working with a group of people that are saying that they want to promote you and give you space um by just giving you what was the word mel it's not paying you it's oh promotion it's just promoting promotion. i think they just, just promotion. promoting just yeah. promoting so if you're an artist or a musician and they're telling you that instead of paying you for your work that they'll just give you all of this wonderful promotion that and you can time. also help also in time you can help pay for as well that you know that this is not a good bargain and that these people are not working in your best interest once you know, upon a time, uh, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away in 2000, uh, I guess, 13, when I was, I had a small uh, position here, I was trying to do an art show for June, and um, I had this white woman, and well-known in our community, she comes up to me, and she wants to, you know, for me to organize a fashion show for her and her kids, and, um, and then I found out she, and, and it, everything felt wrong. There, there was nothing that felt good. And then I found out later she exploits Indigenous girls' art, doesn't even give it back to them, uses it in order to uh, get grant money. And because she's well-known, she's white, and as you know, getting grant money in uh, Calgary, Alberta, means whose ass are you licking in order to get that money? You don't yeah. get money. <laughs> so like this, this podcast, I've never received any funding from any order of government. And in a way, I'm kind of proud to because then I don't have to say, Canada has been so good on reconciliation. And ironically, I'm a Liberal Party person. So I, out of all people, should be saying, and we did this and we did this. And come election time, I probably will if Pierre Paulier gets in. But I mean, I can be open and honest about the politics of trying to get money. And it's not fun. And I would argue it's not even ethical. Like, you know, getting Shell money, getting um, Suncor money, any major company that has literally been guilty of exploiting Indigenous women and lands and not sharing the profit, like, yeah, we can access that money, but I'm not going to say Shell is a great company. <laughs> Just not. I can't do it. So I like even I struggle with the uh, Western economics of even running this podcast because I don't want to I, I don't want to become dirty and say, oh, this or this, but like lots of times when you guys are running your, your, your uh, shows, 
I try to do a plug on the on the podcast in case there's some folks listening because I know a lot of non-Indigenous listen and that's the only time they hear about it but like they, they, they don't share my social media there's like all these different pockets like the people on Twitter are different from the people on Facebook oh, yeah. which are different on Instagram which are different on TikTok which are different than the downloads on, on the podcast so it's really weird and I don't know how to do all of this and I'm trying to do stupid lives <laughs> on TikTok and I don't even know why <laughs> I just start doing dishes and then I'm like, nobody's engaging. So that's enough of that. <laughs> well, I can't, I, I was just going to say something now, damn it. I forgot. Um, oh, I was going to say financially with this market that we put on, you know, like we are not raking in the thousands of dollars and making profits. Like it is essentially a community give back. Like it is a form of community service that we do to, help the help the indigenous community in calgary and help indigenous entrepreneurs and so and then at the end of the day the table market fee that we ask for people which i'm just going to say we, like it's it's under a hundred dollars and we also have elder fees and so you know we keep it very very minimal just to ensure that the the building is paid for you know mm -hmm. essentially and it's not again it's not about making profit it's about ensuring that it's a space created for community. It's a mm -hmm. space for artists um, to grow and to network and to learn. Um, and it's something, you know, we've been able to also create a younger generation of entrepreneurs through our own children. Um, my sister's daughter, Athena, she can speak to it, um, you know, creates her own jewelry and sells it at the market. You know, my mm -hmm. children in the past um, have uh, worked in their own booths selling plants, you know, whatever candy, <laughs> you know, but they've also worked at the canteen and learned those valuable skills of how to interact and do customer service. And, you know, so there's so many different skills that are going on um, at the market that people can learn and, and participate in. And just recently in the last few years, we've been lucky to have like some volunteers from the community come out to support us in this endeavor and just volunteer their time. And what's so great is that, you know, we offer time slots and then normally people just stay for the whole day. All day. Yeah. They're like, come back just to see. Yeah. 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 We're like, we knew there was a market. We thought you might need help. So we just came by, you know, and, yeah. and I think that's just like the most fabulous thing, you know, because it's other people too, that see that value and that importance of, you know, just donating to ensure that, you know, our community has gathering space because, you know, you, you know, very well in Mokinsis, that really is something that does not exist. You know, there's no, no and honestly, we have to, uh, you know, I, I think urban indigenous um, itself is a whole topic and then trying oh, yeah. to create community within and then trying to authenticate who is actually indigenous because mm -hmm. like, you know, I have, I show my status card openly and freely, but conversely, my daughter who doesn't have her status yet, like that's a really big milestone for her is to want to have that stupid card. And I'm like, but it's a mm -hmm. colonial construct. It's to separate you from your inherent rights. And I'm just trying to mm -hmm. tell her it's not that important, but it is important to her. And at the end of the day, we've seen enough frauds that it's like, okay, well, I think it's, it's important if you can get it. Um, but it, how do you navigate that where folks like are, um, how do you, how do you prove indigeneity? And I only ask this because um, so many folks want to claim indigenous status in some capacity. And I, I just like your take on it. I have one, two points. One, I'm going to go back to what you just said. 
about the status card and about Samantha. And remember that she's young and impressionable and will learn, you know, I mean, I was a liberal once. So <laughs> I'll just say that. Okay. And now I am a non-card carrying anything. I'm just open to critics criticizing everybody so <clears throat> which is anyway. good because like you know um, i'm helping an ndp or provincially because i just hate jason kenny and those freaking blue teams so much for everything yeah. they do and i could list that but please continue i mean i do donate orange i will say that though because i i believe in the same thing sure. um and you help where you can um i think too about proving indigeneities because we do have you know <sighs> It is unfortunate in our community is that it's become ugly and taboo to ask people where you're from and who your relations are, because, you know, you have a lot of pretendians who go lateral violence, lateral violence, as soon as that comes out, like, you know, how dare you question my indigeneity, but it's so strange because in our community and the way that I was raised and around everywhere, you mm -hmm. say, where are you from? Who are your grand? Who are your parents? Who are your grandparents? What's your clan? You know, because then that that roots you with who you are, and who your people are, and what your land is, and who your clan system is. And you know, most people are able to you know state that, you know, and if for some reason that they're not because of sixty scoop or some other reason, you know, I mean, there's there's valid reasons for that, but. I mean, there are some people that, you know, look at indigenous people, or indigenous systems, and, and, and they see dollar signs and, and then become like white owl and invent these, you know, made up personalities or this made up lineage to create some story, you know, to justify that they're, you know, uh, great, 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 great grandmother, you know, may have smudged with somebody way back when, you know, I, if you have to go like eight generations back, like, that's pretty far back. I mean, I can go four generations back, and I'm not claiming my Frenchness or, you know, my Irishness or trying to reclaim that heritage. I, maybe more Native people should, and then all the white people will get angry at us and not try to do it anymore. But no. Um, but again, it's, you know, having just asking people like where they're from, um, you know, and if you have a status card, then, you know, it shouldn't be a, a hard thing to, you know, to show that. And I, I'm having a hard time because I know people there there are people that exist that are running organizations that have no indigenous blood in them um who again exploit artists and take their work and use it in production um on large scale and make money off of it and don't give any money back to the artists and it's yeah. sickening yeah and it's, it's been so happening in our community for so long so frustrating. And the thing is, like, a lot of artists just aren't even, <clears throat> excuse me, aware a lot of the times. Because yes. when you're that struggling artist, you're like, someone's going to give me space. Someone's going to give me time. I don't have money to pay for stuff. You just take it because you're unaware. And that gullibility and that vulnerability can be so taken advantage of. And, you know, we're yes. witnessing right now that that's 
really, really happening in front of our faces. <laughs> and we're doing everything we can in our power as Indigenous people in our community that run events that, you know, we people trust that what we have to say is authentic. And they know that we have their back and their best interest in heart. And um, it's been it's been rough to see. And um, to your point on proving, you know, their indigeneity, uh, as far as like our event is, is concerned, we do have in our application, like check boxes, you know, where you are on there at all. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are, you know, that were 60 scoop and stuff that are trying to figure out their identities and they don't have that little piece of card to say, I'm hundred percent this, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not as, it's not as important as some people think. But um, in, in certain communities, it's, it's, the, it's the only step of approval. Um, we don't ask for proof that way. We just want to ask where you're from. So that way we're making sure we're also promoting uh, authentic and that, you know, we don't want to say we're authentic and then we're not. <laughs> we want to make sure that what we're saying is true. And, you know, going to other events and conferences, trade shows, other things, events, powwows, and the many, many artists that are non-Indigenous sell Indigenous-like things or things that are from South America that look First Nations Canadian um, is huge. And they make extreme profit margins. And they're taking that away from the authentic artists that are either local or anywhere that they're from. Wherever they go, they're taking that space. So we want to make sure we're giving that space appropriately to those people that deserve it. When I'm at Banff, when I'm yeah. here locally at some of the, um, you know, not dollar stores, but like tourist booths. Oh, and yeah. I see all this made in Canada, authentic indigenous stuff. Like, like that's, it drives me oh, wild. When I think about the stampede, the amount of times that you see, you know, these, these fake made in China dream catchers. And, and that's mm -hmm. not even our teaching out here for that matter. You know, like all of these things just upset me so much and there's nothing I can do about it yet. Um, but I, I got to try to see if we can pass a stupid policy, but um, framing it is going to be um, one of the harder ones because the way the stupid Indian act works is that if you're a man and you marry some white woman and she, uh, you know, exploits every single thing from our culture and takes every single little bit of knowledge and, and then makes all of this stuff and starts selling it, then here we have a person who, yeah, it's authentic indigenous art, but she's white. <laughs> you know and and I, I've seen many of these now and I, I just don't even know what to do about that because it's not like they're teaching uh, kids and and they're just literally making profit and I, I'm I really struggle with that because just because she has a status doesn't mean that it's authentic because she has no blood in her and the only reason why she she is a part of the community is because of marriage true well a lot of um a lot of our artists, like all of our work, like me, especially too, like all of my work comes from lineage, like a lot of colors, patterns, you know, different textiles, ways of working comes from generational. Like I've learned from other family members. Of course, I've still taught myself a lot of things, but, you know, of doing things appropriately, what can I sell, what I can't sell, is this appropriate or not? I still, you know, auntie, can I still do this? Is this okay? Like I'm still making sure that I'm doing those things. And those things are coming from my family line. Like 
paintings and art that our grandfather used to make, I use as inspiration sometimes, but that's all lineage. And that's where a lot of the authenticity is coming from. It's not just something I saw, so I'm gonna replicate and, you know, it looks cool. And, you know, a lot of the times it's just me inspired by something. And like I go, powwows are huge inspirations for me. Going to museums to see older things that we don't have on our own lands anymore. Um, it's unfortunate, but sometimes those are amazing because I get to see things. I'm like, oh my God, like that quill work is beautiful. Or I didn't think about using those color combinations and, you know, things like that because it brings it back to the lineage and our people where we come from and making it new and contemporary. So it's really important that, you know, a lot of the artists, their paintings, their inspiration, it's coming from family lines, it's coming from their clan people, it's coming from their specific land they're from. And that really shows that it's authentic, especially as like a consumer. Um, like you said with dream catchers and stuff like that. I get asked all the time, do you make dream catchers? I'm like, no, I'm Blackfoot. We don't make those. Sorry. I'm like, but I know somebody that is that's authentic that will make them that has the teachings of why the, what they're for and how they're made. And they're not just pretty things they found at Michael's, you know, um, and they source <laughs> their things appropriately. And, you know, they have feathers that are on there that, you know, they've found or that have, you know, been in their family or something like that. And, you know, so I'm making sure that we're passing that appropriate knowledge on of other people that are appropriate. So our, like our show does that. And, you know, people that are in our community that are profiting from us is just despicable. And, you know, it's something that's been happening for a long time, but I feel like we're in a, like a resurgence right now. Like our artists have, we're re really realizing our value to not just our community, but to all peoples. Like all of our peoples is what value we bring because we're showing our real history. Like there's art that's like beautiful. There's art that's very political. And there's, you know, art that's just, you know, for whatever you want to do with. And because our voices are being heard on a bigger level, we're able to do things like your podcast or going to CBC or going to the news and the radio or even just, you know, doing lives on Facebook and people are listening. And they're like, yes, everyone else is. It's funny because we've been doing them and they're like, we know, we know, thank God you're saying something. No one's been listening to me. And, you know, cause I feel like their voices aren't being heard. So for us to do something and listen to artists authentically and really taking what they have to say, you know, and, and as an artist ourselves, we get to see what's happening. So it's kind of like the best of both worlds is we're doing events for people, but we're also being at these events. So we know how people are affected when, you know, that value is taken away from us. Yeah. And it's really important that we're, speaking up and we're talking about organizations or people that are finding loopholes that are finding ways of profitability on us, taking away grant money from us, just regular everyday events from us and making sure that people know about them. And I, I think the best that we can do and that we have so far is, you know, speaking up. And if people want to listen, great. If they don't, okay, too. But artists are then aware and whatever they do with that information is totally up to them. But then, it's, you know, you've been warned, just be aware, um, be cautious. I mean, it's a sad thing that that even has to happen, but it's, it's, it's been around a long time. But like I said, I think a resurgence is really happening. We're finding our power and we're finding our voices in our artwork and seeing how valuable we can be. Yeah. I have a couple points. Um, so we we've had to encounter a couple different things uh, originally when we first started you know we were just so excited to have any artists mm -hmm. want to come participate you know and we didn't originally have the check boxes we just thought mm -hmm. well if it's authentically indigenous you would know that you need to be indigenous to be here so in the first couple of years we would get requests to come participate in the show from people that were non-indigenous and we'd have to tell them we'd have to ask them are you Indigenous? Are you First Nations? Da, 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 da. 
And if they weren't, then we'd have to tell them, you know, I'm sorry, this show is distinctly for created by Indigenous people for Indigenous people. Um, but that's not saying we had vendors before originally, again, that were not Native. And then it was like reflection of like, well, if we're authentic, we need to be authentic too. And mm -hmm. so these great people that created stuff that was inspired by lovely people, leather work is one of I can think of off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. But again, because they weren't Indigenous, they said, you know what? we aren't indigenous and we recognize that. And so, you know, we are okay with not being in your show after we talk to them, you mm -hmm. know? And so that those kind of people like that hear that and understand that, and, you know, they're still doing their thing on their own and that's okay. Um, but you know, that they see that they're not indigenous and, and, and they say that too, which is, which is important, you know, they're oh, not yeah. trying to front Flatline it. tell you, they're like, this is our name. We know we are not indigenous. We make Indigenous-like things for Indigenous people. It's yeah. A lot of their wares are for Native people, not for non-Indigenous, which is, it's kind of nice because they're trying to stay in the community with still being yeah. in the community, giving to the community that way too, so yeah. Yeah, and then sometimes we have encountered people in the past that have married into the communities and stuff. And, and again, it's having those conversations about, you know, you shouldn't be profiteering off of this work because it's not it doesn't belong to you your your children yes it will belong to your children if you're making stuff for your kids and you're doing it for your family or you're giving it away then that's something but as soon as you're trying to put like cash behind it and like you know i i recently did <laughs> i do some medicine walks sometimes um again my family comes from a long line of herbalists so something that was passed down to me um, and I'm doing this walk. I said, you know, now if I see you setting up a store like Urban Outfitters and sen selling wand sticks, you know, then I'm going to come at you because that's not right, you know. And unfortunately, what has happened, I noticed this year is again just the appropriation of teaching and learning. And now that I've taught people, now they're trying to promote that as their own, you know, and making money to teach again. You know, and so it's just another form, you know, in, in our own communities and, and how that works is that, you know, there's, it's not, you, you hear a song, you're given a song, you know, you earn these rights, you know, these lessons, these teachings, and, and you pass them on and you share them, but you're not giving that person that knowledge to do that. You know what I mean? Like you, it's like, it's a form of payment. And so, you know, to it's, it's. I was very insulted to to see that my family's generations of learning, again, is just being exploited and profiteered off in a different way by another community member who is Indigenous, but now has just added that to their checklist of events that are services that can be offered. And it's just, mm. you know, it's it, it's a thing, you know, and I, I believe that's that colonialism and, you know, that is still just happening and being perpetuated in our community. And the last point I wanted to go into real quick was about that idea about exploiting the artists that just don't know, you know, and that idea that we've had to deal with that for so long with the treaties, you know, of us just not knowing and not understanding and that free prior and informed consent that didn't exist then is also happening today. And so um, these arts alliance organizations that are being created to create 
platforms for, you know, First Nations artists, um, you know, again, like they're just being created to exploit people. And yeah, all we can do is share what we've, you know, what we've been through and <clears throat> what's going on so that people can make their own informed decision and understand um, the ramifications, uh, what can happen. You know, sometimes people get locked into signing things that they have no idea, you know, and so then their, their artwork all of a sudden becomes trademarked by organizations, you know, and so I think I was going to say a big, huge disclaimer should be organizations that are having large uh, orange shirt day events, you know, like those ones that are trying to, you know, again, <clears throat> profit off of the trauma. And, you know, again, like having originally after the finding the, the, the 215 to cut at um, Loops, you know, and having celebrations and events and honorings, you know, I, I, but now it's like, people are creating all of these orange t-shirts to make money. And, you know, I saw orange t-shirts at Walmart and where's yeah. that money? You know what I mean? So it's hundred percent proceeds are going to something, but how can you prove such a thing? Really? Well, and Actually, Walmart is a huge organization, right? Huge. They should be yeah. honoring the stupid tax credit. If we show up with our status card and they don't, um, yeah. and I heard like, I think it was you guys that even said that, uh, Canadian tire road at West Hills mm -hmm. does, but I mean, mm -hmm. None of the other ones do. I was in Lesbridge and they wouldn't do it. So it's like, you know, the, these companies that profit off a of orange shirt day or again, those stupid made in China, indigenous, authentically indigenous dream catchers and stuff like that. Like, you know, it really upsets me because these are the people that are literally exploiting our land, our labor, our people, our art. And what do we get in return? Nothing. You know, they mm -hmm. exploited the treaty. And that's why it's like treaty, thank the treaty, then your MLA, then your MP, then your counselor. <laughs> but if you're not thanking treaty people, first and foremost, then you don't get this whole concept of this world that we're supposed to live in and what reconciliation is. Holy. Oh, yeah. Huge. Well, for us, I mean, as our organization, you know, we're always willing to make, you know, sit down, have a conversations. We're wanting to make networks and connections and, you know, host other events so that we can make more space uh, for artists. And uh, we were approached as authentically Indigenous from an organization. And it kind of, I think this really blew our eyes open. Like we've yeah. always known these things are happening, but to hear it come out of people's mouths in front of our faces, surprised the heck out of us. And um, it's an organization that's local, that's doing some Indigenous events. They are having an Orange T-shirt festival, um, as well. What the uh, hell is an orange? What? Yeah, and like, at the festival, you can also meet and greet elders. So they're promoting elders as like they're a trinket of something. Yay! Yeah. So this organization contacted me and said, "Hey, saw this. I was supposed to set up for them." So I also didn't know who they were. And I pulled out last minute because I had another event happening. I said, you know, thanks so much. Not going to be able to make it. A week later, I get an email saying, hey, saw what you guys do with the community. Love to talk, maybe partner or do something. Sounded great. It's an Indigenous organization. So I thought. And so I told my sister and I'm like, let's go have lunch with these guys. Let's see what it's all about. Maybe it's something we can market together. Like we've promoted and done stuff with other organizations, even if they're non-Indigenous. It's not a big deal. And uh, so we, we go, we sit down, we're both baffled because we look and the two very Caucasian retired men. And we're like, 
what is going on? I was like, are we being pranked? Because that does not seem right. We asked the waiter, we're like, are you sure that's who we're supposed to be meeting? He's like, yeah, these gentlemen over here. And they're like, okay. So we sit down with them and, you know, not a lot of us, we weren't reciprocating too much. It was very, mm -hmm, yes, this kind of sure, a little kind of not, it was a lot of that. And they were asking us a lot of in-depth questions about our organization personally, uh, yes. what we do, how can, how do we get artists? You know, we've heard about different protocols. What are they? How do you find out what they are? Like they wanted to know so much details that it's like, if you're indigenous, these kind of are things you just know. Uh, if you're not, we're not going to give it to you. Like, a, can, I, can I just pause you? I just yeah. had two weeks of stress because an organization didn't know to pay their their elder on the spot. Uh, yeah, you know, even uh, it's the Human Rights Board. They put out like this elder protocol thing years ago. Like, how are we still here? How can people mm -hmm. even kind of claim they care about reconciliation and not get this? How how can we be here? Yes. I honestly, I I was so angry at so many people at this organization, at all these level of organizations, and they did the same colonial bullshit of Jordan's principles, like. Well, that's not my department. Well, that's not my department. Oh, I did it. Oh, oh, I need an invoice. Did you tell anybody you needed an invoice? Jesus Christ. So took like some time. Finally got it done. Trip out to Siksika and back. And uh, very humble. I'm so sorry on behalf of a shitty organization that should know better. And I mean, I took it really to heart that this was going to personally ruin my relationship with this. Elder. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, I yeah. know protocol and this organization could give a flying fuck. And I was just so angry because I'm like, you're not just disrespecting like this one person and you're, you're, you're disrespecting the entire community, me, other indigenous people, everybody. You, you've just disrespected us at a level you can't even comprehend. Mm. You don't even care. And, and so when you tell me that this organization did this and in, like and I get so angry. You to me, I know I know none of us consider ourselves um, knowledge keepers in any capacity. But ironically, we're the next generation, so they're mm -hmm. just trying to exploit and extract that information. And even on this podcast, like I'm really careful not to talk about teachings, because there's some person in Germany that's going to be like, oh my god, I'm mm -hmm. going to run a powwow and I'm going to do this, and it's like, no, 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 you're not getting that from here. The only thing you're getting on my podcast is why you're a colonial racist who exploits our people and how you have a responsibility to stop it. And yet, here this, here these guys are like, yeah, no, I just totally want all of your knowledge about elder protocol. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. Well, largely yeah. what we do too is like, because because we work with organizations. So in the city, like we work with Amazon and Echo and South Center and these very large scale non-Indigenous organizations. And we're making sure that we're putting those in place and we're letting them know how that works as well. But we're only giving so much of that information away. That's why as, as, as authentically Indigenous being hired as these curators, we're making sure our elders, our dancers, our performers, anybody that bring we bring in, they're gifted appropriately, they're paid appropriately. And it's when it happens. We get paid way after the fact. Sometimes we still haven't gotten paid for certain things. But it's yeah. like, we're making sure that those people that we are brought in that are bringing in that knowledge, that are bringing in, in our traditions, they're being honored appropriately and on time. Because those are yeah. really, really important. And, you know, a lot of non-Indigenous people just don't know about it. and But that's a part of us being authentic you know, bringing in these things and then having these organizations that are trying to pry that information out of us so that they can look 
cool and know things compared to it being an honorable way of doing things, right? It's it's huge. It's huge. So yeah. the, and, well, and then I was just going to say, but we've, we, with working with them too, and leading up to it, that's part of us making sure and saying like, do you have this honorarium for these people? And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, well, we don't. Well, and then will you say, well, then there's no performance. There's yeah. no else. Easy if you don't have helpful. it, no, you don't. They're not coming if you don't have it for them. Yeah. It's yeah. just bottom line. And I think that's the thing is that they're like, they think that they can get away with it. Like, oh, I didn't know. It wasn't my job. It was somebody else's invoice. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh-huh. we'll get that here in a couple <laughs> days. But if it was you and any other organization, they all know their processes. They know their oh, timelines. Yeah. And so, again, it's putting people in check and making them realize that these same little hoops that they that exist, that they're trying to make us jump through, that they have to jump through first to access the services that we're trying to give them. And if they can't do that, bottom line, uh-uh, that's just yeah. not how it works. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's just making sure that it stops at the beginning. And so, you know, that I would, I would talk to the person who's running the uh, human rights organization and say, look, if you can't, if you can't properly, you know, uh, compensate our elders in a timely fashion, then we can't work with you. And that is the hardest thing because then they're like, oh shit, well, who are we going to work with now? And then mm-hmm. they're scrambling and then they're really having to scramble. So again, it's just, you know, it's putting that scare and that fear in them and saying, oh, you think you're doing good reconciliation work, but you're really not. And this is the other mm-hmm. part that you have to do. Yeah, and putting so, people in their place. Yeah. And bottom line, is like you want us to adhere to your policies then you make sure that you're adhering for us so yeah no and I'm really glad that we have like that we're standing up to it because it's just not okay anymore and I I don't know I I know our elders beforehand have always advocated for us and have always tried to do the right thing and I appreciate all of that work and I feel like we as the next generation have to really be staunch on this and not dishonor that past because Mm -hmm this can't continue this we can't claim reconciliation and then not see these stupid companies not even implement one of the calls to action that's specific to freaking business and there's lots now of calls to justice for them to implement and if they they don't even know what i'm talking about what's on drip they don't know what i'm talking about that's not okay we're, we're yeah. past this i think yeah well i mean I can point to a certain mayor that existed for a number of years who could not take the time to learn how to pronounce his given name, you know, and it was like an ongoing joke. Ha ha ha. I can't say this name. You know, I mean, that is so distasteful and so disrespectful to not only the whole community, but to the elder, you know, and to take that time. It's just, it's just a little bit of time. You know, somebody could even record it and you could listen to it over and over again and you could hear how to say your name because it's not that hard. And it's like any other foreign name. You would expect people to be able to take the time to learn and pronounce respectively of anybody's name. And it's just the same thing. So organizations need to take that time uh, and, and, and pony up the bucks, you know, and if they are, if they, they have the capacity and they have the dollars to pay people and, you know, as far as honorariums go, um, I'm big as whatever you're paying your your highest professional to come in and speak is the same thing that you should be paying our elders. Mm-hmm. Our, mm-hmm. our knowledge, the same mm-hmm. thing. And so that's been what we've been we've been demanding. Mm-hmm. And you know, at first it was like, 
can we do this? Yeah. Like, yeah. We, <laughs> we deserve, we deserve this. You know, yeah, they deserve that. And so making sure that they're, you know, receiving compensation at an equitable level is really important. So funny enough, I haven't found the paperwork for Beaufort Towers for all of the so-called permission that they gave um, to put up Beaufort Towers. You know, that one that a, a, a person who made, who's a non-Indigenous person, made over a million dollars from New York. And he put up uh, basically appropriated burial site on the uh, west town, west side of town. You know where COP is? That. Yeah. Yeah. Every yeah. time I go by there, it gets the middle finger, man. Every time. I but just, it's still there, it's too. It's still there. It's like, oh, it's infuriating. You know, it, it's so, it, so I was running municipally when that thing went up and I was like trying to call them out. And ironically, my voice was not even slightly heard by anybody. I couldn't believe it. And to this day, so it's been since, what, 2017, I'm like, this needs to come down. This needs to come down. And it, you know what? This younger generation, they're so bold. It's just a matter of time until they do something on that and, and just showcase everybody how wrong it is. And like I've said to the city, put like a wire mesh around it, something so that it doesn't actually look like a burial site. And that they just conveniently never hear that. How, how convenient. So, <laughs> uh, welcome to Calgary. Here's the burial site that's appropriated. <laughs> this is what we think of our people here. Pretty much. Yeah. So, now, yeah, I know that they have, go ahead. tried to do a bit of like a uh, policy change around, you know, First Nations art for the city and whatnot. Um, but again, I think there still is a lot of work to do. Um, I mean, just real quick talking about bump and the mural work that they do, like really like beautiful work as well. But in the, initially in the beginning, it was um, the, the large uh, uh, artwork that's created of the Cree dancer um, you know, it's beautiful. It's a huge one. Yeah. Huge dancer on 4th Street. Uh, it's created by a white person. And yeah, it's a, created by a white person. Of a Cree and artist. It, it, and it's about a Cree artist. <clears throat> you know, I actually got in, a fight in our with territory that. at the time. But she she's not from here. You know, and that's, there are so many beautiful fancy dancers that are from here that could have been represented and I wrote to bump initially and said this is wrong you guys need to acknowledge the first nations people that live here and honor them in their territory you know and it's great to see that they've opened that platform now and there's more artists mm. that from the different nations but again initially it they didn't have that they didn't look at that they didn't see the importance of that or that understanding and so again uh, there's people that are still appropriating art and creating these large pieces and getting compensation for it. I'm so glad you said that. I've had how many fights on Twitter since I've been on Twitter uh, with leading um, non-Indigenous artists that are in charge of the entire, you know, arts of Calgary. And they get so offended because like this one lady was like, oh my God, this is the most beautiful picture I've ever seen. And it was a white artist who, you know, depicted some native somewhere. And they were like, so offended that I was like, yeah, I'm not impressed at all. And, um, you know, expected me to give that teaching just so that they could be angry, just so that they could unfollow me, just, you know, just be nasty. And then try to lay the ground work in the non-Indigenous community about how shitty of a person I am. And it's like, why? Because I'm willing to tell you the truth and you're so offended by the truth. Like, when do you get, when do we get our platform to be able to tell the truth? And it was like, I just had these things constantly happening. That's like, I'm going to have a podcast. 
because there's no like there's no medium for us to have these authentic mm-hmm. conversations and you know Twitter <clears throat> there's only like a sentence or two and then there's there's no real dialogue right mm-hmm. so and and that's still the norm here and I can't understand why people think that's okay for me to you know like if it like let's just reverse it for five seconds as indigenous people we just you know create all of these sculptures and such that are of I don't know John A. Macdonald or something like we would never do that for a billion reasons mainly because they're genocidal maniacs but two also because like why would we want to honor somebody that we don't know that we don't have any like we have our culture that we're trying to reclaim like they just don't get uh, oppression dynamics at all here in the city so I just am really glad you you talked about that because I've seen it over and over again. And ironically, I didn't, I like to think I pay attention to every post you put. <laughs> and yet I miss that. I miss that, um, that I know which, which one you're talking about. It's a beautiful, mm-hmm. but you couldn't even give that an was, indigenous artist that money. Thanks a lot. Sarah. Yeah, that was one of the original bump murals. Very first out. one, like big, big yeah. ones too. I yeah. mean, there was like little tiny ones before like artists were only giving very small spaces so there's the one that's new it's um like the world's largest mural or something like that on the side of a building and it's from a satina artist so it's like he's local it took him like weeks to do scaffolding like crazy it's super huge and it's beautiful like you can see it when you're on the stampede side like of of um of McLeod Trail and it's it's gorgeous but it's like it's taken so long like how many years since the first one was done to get little spaces near like a or a door because for a while it was just like doors or those electrical boxes were the only things that indigenous people were given so it was like kind of nonchalant we're giving you space here you go kind of shut up so now there's like the bigger murals that are everywhere Nathan McGinnis has his large one down there as well and like a lot of really really beautiful ones are coming out and they're showing the real authenticity of artists their background, their heritage, their lineage, and all that stuff. So it's beautiful to see now. But again, if you don't speak up, people don't know about it. So it just continues, right? And so we're hoping doing what we do, if we speak up enough, enough people will listen, that people will help us do something about it. In 2017, when I ran, I was talking about Aaron Paquette, uh, because he actually, we ran together and he won, obviously. And um, he was the one who um, talked about a a new policy um, under UNDRIP so that all funds for arts went to Indigenous artists first. And that was the model I wanted to use in order to institute here in Calgary, because all of this insanity has, like, I can't believe it still continues. I can't believe it, but here we are. So I'm hoping that we can, like, and I've said this to policymakers repeatedly on Twitter, on on interviews, everything, like, just, just recreate that. Like, I just have so naively thought that if you tell policymakers X, Y, Z, they'll do it, but they don't because it's still control, colonial control, right? Sucks. Yeah. 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 So anyway, if any way I could assist you in that, I would, that's for sure. So yeah. So are you taking off here, Melrine? Are you going to go, I don't know, somewhere in Paris? (laughs) Going to Paris, France at the end of September. So I'm super excited. I'm working on a collection right now. Lots of really cool large scale stuff. So it's my couture collection. So it's not wearable, but it's still beautiful wearable art. Um, yeah, so I'm super, super excited. I'll be the first Blackfoot Indigenous artist to, to, to do this runway. And I'm super stoked to do it. And I did New York Fashion Week last year. And so taking our indigeneity <clears throat> international 
and really showing that you know, we're, we're beads and feathers, but we're still way more than beads and feathers. So really showcasing our real, our real workability. Oh, it's so beautiful. And, and, and what's and, the name of the fashion show? The, oh, the fashion show or the organization, <laughs> the International the Indigenous Fashion Week. So they're an organization that's out of Saskatoon. Um, fun, uh, with the founder, her name is Chelsea, and uh, she's been doing it for the last couple of years, taking Indigenous artists to New York and Paris and all over Canada and having some large scale events here. And, you know, this will be the third year in Paris. So I'm excited to be a part of that. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I don't know. I'm to me, this is the type of stuff I live for because you guys, we all grew up. We didn't have any of this representation. Our kids, though. So oh, yeah. They get to see all of this. And that makes me so happy. So like reservation dogs, it's like I wish we had access to season two. And I kind of hate right. all the memes that are on, um, you know, social media, but I still live for them. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you both for coming on this show. I so appreciate it. I know that you're, you know, on a hill in Pakani somewhere there, Autumn. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you can see the windmills in the background. So. <laughs> I was just there for the rodeo. And, uh, oh, my God, I, I was going to melt. I keep telling. Oh, I should tell you both. Because I'm Satujene, right? I'm, like, north of Yellowknife. I'm just freaking melting in this heat. I'm like, I'm not a Plains Indian. I don't know how they do four days. <laughs> fasting and no water and I can't I can barely breathe <laughs> so yeah it's been great well thank you both for coming on and, and you're both welcome to come back anytime and while you're out in uh, Paris I hope you know we're, we're going to be thinking you. of you and praying for you and knowing that you're going to be amazing thank you sure. and before we wrap up we are planning our next annual authentically indigenous market it will be beginning of December so posters and events and dates and stuff will be out soon right on and then I will pay you full price to be there and I'm going to get <laughs> myself a real banner and I'm going to be real <laughs> yes. I love these goals I love these yes goals. yes I, I know they're so it's so silly it's just that it's one of those things that I um I never knew how serious to take myself and I just found Jesse Wente, he was just on my book club, and he's so great at being like, we all deserve uh, narrative sovereignty. And I'm like, that's it. That's what I am. I am, I'm being open and honest from my point of view about, about what I see, about the everyday racism that everybody's so cool with, like, you know, white people depicting us in their you know, legendary and artistic way. And it's like, thanks for, you know, objectifying us. Like, stop doing this. Graduating <laughs> trauma porn. And that's yeah. what I call it. You know, most Indigenous movies are just trauma porn, you know, that they're playing off of what's happened in the past and just staying in there, you know, and we just, we need to get oh, out yeah. of that, you know, like, yeah. stop it. We're, we're so much more than that. We're more than the beads and feathers, you know, and I think everything that we're proving through what you're doing on the podcast and what my sister's doing with her amazing fashion work, you know, it just goes to show just how innovative and how creative and just amazing all of our Indigenous people are. So. 100%. Oh, and, and all of the work you do every single day, Autumn, I hope you know you're a huge inspiration for folks like me and, you know, welcoming and loving and just we, we got to change this so that our kids are safe. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I don't know if you both know, 
but Clarence Louie is going to be on my um, on my uh, book club in October, October 10th. Oh, nice. Yeah. Awesome, and awesome. He doesn't pull a punch, man. And he's not all about creating safe space for nobody. So um, <laughs> even us women. <laughs> it's like, uh, my, my, I have something about that. It's like, well, I guess if you didn't have the Indian Act, it's such a huge barrier to create the success of your nation. Just wondering. Just wondering. <laughs> yeah, no, I really He doesn't curious. have the same kind of barriers that exist right? for people everywhere else. And for him to look down from the fence, well, he's very small. So for him to stand up on a platform and look down the fence. Get off that soapbox. That's a lot. And yeah, I know about his incarceration system. I yeah. want to know about that. Like, right? how do you feel right? about profiteering off of the incarceration of our people? Yeah, no, I, I'm really curious to see how that's going to go because. Like, I want to give him a platform. So my dad gave me this book. So I'm like, okay, well, I got to read it. And then he he's like, no, I'll come on. But I'm not all about creating safe space. So I'm just going to tell it like it is. I'm like, okay, this ought to be interesting. Because it's all like, you know, retired white women that are on my pot or in my book club that are like, they'll listen. And, and then there's going to be me and like Kathy Bear who are like, oh, really? Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping I was hoping a few men would be interested in actually joining this one because um it would be interesting to see what they say um and and hopefully men that care about indigenous women's lives but you know there's still <laughs> we'll see we'll see who comes and see how it goes and maybe I don't know we'll, we'll go from there but then I have Bruce McIver on and I got to get off my butt and ask some other folks to come. I asked Clayton if he would come to talk about his book, but um, he doesn't follow me back. So, mm. boo. So I don't know if you'll uh, see it. I don't know if you've had Leroy Wolfcaller on there, if you had him or read his book. He does a thing on traditional government from when he was chief of Sixaga. So he's got a good book out that you can read. It's a short read too. It's a yeah. fast read, yeah. but um, he would be a really good person to have. Oh, he'd be great. I got to get Brandy Moore in too, because she has a book that's doing really well. And I, I haven't like, I haven't even seen it yet, but I haven't gone to bookstores to be fair. So um, I'm hoping that I can get that for Christmas from somebody and then we can have her do it. And even if she, I don't get it for Christmas, I still want to do the book because she's more local, <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So that'd be good. Uh, yeah. So, okay, folks. Well, thanks for being on my show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for oh, having, for having us. Thank yeah. you for creating the space for us to just talk. Mm -hmm. Well, you guys have been nothing but loving to me. And I should also say my favorite earrings ever that I ever got were um, custom made from Melrin. She had done <laughs> my Princess Leia ones. And then I seen a woman who was um, houseless and she really, really liked them. So I gave them yeah. to her. And to this day, I'm Aww. like, you're supposed to give them away. You're supposed to give them away. Yeah. But I still miss them. And I should probably <laughs> get Yoda ones or some baby goat, uh, 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 baby Yoda. <laughs> I should get those done. I don't know. Hey, now I'm I all obsessed do it. about prey. I could do it. I could do it. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm so obsessed about prey. Obsessed. It's so good. I love it. I love it. So. That makes me happy. Okay, I better do my ending I love here. It. I love it, except for this part. So I'll just say there's this part. Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> there's one thing about prey that really upsets me, and it's what um, Taylor McNally's been talking about, actually. Um, so Taylor McNally's a local Black um, activist, and it turned out that uh, 
um, the Comanche way of pulling a bow and arrow is actually they do three arrows at one time. Like that's authentically Comanche, apparently. So we should have mm -hmm. got an, a Comanche like person who, who knows how to do that. That's the only like thing I've been seeing that's really negative about it. Um, other than two, it was shot obviously not in Comanche territory, but I, I was really happy to see our area here showcased so well. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll say one thing that hasn't really been talked about, and I know it's a little kind of thing, but I mean, I really love the idea that it was that we didn't have white saviors come at the end, you know, to save it. But the idea that the characters in themselves, the development of the characters, the cast choice is really important. And, you know, the portrayal of it and such like this and of the Comanche people and that it's this platform, but choosing stars again, that fit this Hollywood mode of how Indigenous people are supposed to look and their representation. And then unfortunately, whitewashing them and white casting them and putting in leads that are more fair or have more white features. I'm not saying that they're not talented, but both of them are half white, the brother and the sister that are the stars. And so, I mean, that says something again about Hollywood's portrayal and about their acceptance about what we are as Indigenous people. And it's either in the movie, you either look partially white features or you look like the, you know, crooked native and you have like the, the horrible features because I've seen casting directors go both sides. And so again, it's like that white lens choosing for us what is appropriate as Indigenous people and that representation on the on the on the bigger screen? And so I really enjoyed Michelle's brush that she was nice and dark and like in yeah. her beautiful self. I was like, she's so nice yeah. and tan, and I love that that was that representation of the mother. But she wasn't like old and like crazy grandmother. She was the mother, still young and beautiful and dark and wearing everything and really talking about medicines. And I really enjoyed yeah. Michelle's character. It wasn't. I think that her character, it would have been nice to have her character do more and show more, especially yeah. because they're talking about herb herbs and, and different ways of using medicines. It would have been really cool to see more in depth into that, I think was really nice. Because like you say, a lot of them were fairly fair. And it was really nice to see that one of the main characters wasn't super fair. And she's still beautiful, which is like, let's show that we are so many colors and variations and we're all so beautiful in different ways. And like, it, it, it needs to be shown more and that we're like we're not either like so dark we're not just so light we're all these colors in between and even in one tribe we're all many variations right so yeah, yeah. you know uh that's actually been a criticism i've read on twitter about reservation dogs because apparently the area that they claim that they're shooting in has a lot of folks that are black like indigenous yeah. and black like yourself and yet they're not showcased at all in reservation dogs like it's like taking you know like uh Edmonton and just casting <laughs> <laughs> yeah all the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. anyway I uh yeah so I, I do get what you're saying and I hope like I, I thought maybe for season two for reservation dogs that maybe they'd have some more you know indigenous black um representation for that reason there's one auntie one auntie yeah no we need more of that we need more because uh <laughs> Yeah, no, I, even I try to acknowledge my privilege um, as a half white person, because why am I getting indoors? Because my name is Michelle Robinson, right? 
and and I know people they still don't get how bad the, the bias is and um, just to give an example to you both like when I'm in stampede and I'm walking in an orange shirt showing any indigenous um, you know earrings anything you you don't even get eye contact from white people the moment you're not showing and representing anything indigenous you get highs hellos even nods conversations it's like it's so painfully obvious but for non-indigenous they're like what racism <laughs> <laughs> and the, and i mean uh, michelle thrush you can't take that off you can't take that off that's not and it shouldn't be that way and i tell people that and they don't get it but i think that's why i got my indigenous tattoos on my arm because um you know, I, I didn't realize how colon, uh, colonized I was by just, you know, always trying to hide my tattoos. So anyway, so they're, they're loud and proud. And, you know, I have a lot of respect for folks who get their face tattooed for that reason, because you can't hide that either, rightfully so. And if I ever find the right statue Dene uh, tattoos for my face, you're damn right I'm going to get it done. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. As long as they're traditional to your culture. Exactly. Um, I'm not going to appropriate from the Inuit. <laughs> Holy, that's <laughs> no, and yeah. I, that's become a thing where people are doing that. Um, I talked to Christy yeah. Belcourt about that, and oh, I I won't say this on the podcast, but she basically, you know, said to try to do certain things in order to um have it come to you, and I've so I've just come to the conclusion it wasn't meant to come to me yet, and when it when it is, it will if it does and that's kind of just it so yeah i don't want to appropriate somebody else's culture um there's over 700 nations of us why would i do that yeah, exactly exactly gotta honor your own and in no way black but do facial tattoos so i know that for sure yeah. you, really hey <laughs> we, we will not be getting any oh. facially tattoos there was a lot so. of we did paint for sure but nothing was permanent yeah no yeah. yeah, actually, I have a face painting ceremony coming up. I'm pretty excited about it. So, you know, and I've seen that there's this really, uh, there's a tattoo artist, and he's been doing um, basically the markings I see around the teepees on his arms and things like that, and doing it for others. And I was like, but that's for real. Like, if I knew my if my family colors and stuff like that, I'd get it done in a second. But anyway, that's another conversation for another day. Thank you guys for coming on my show. Thanks, I know we can just keep talking and talking. <laughs> I know, hey. <laughs> I know, but I so rarely get to. And that's why I, I love it. So I just hope you know I, I I wish we could hang out more. I know the stupid COVID made it even worse. And um I try to since I my um uh come back to Calgary with our tail between our legs, we've been doing the full moon ceremonies in our backyard. So if you if you ever want to come, you're more than welcome to. But again, it's more for that urban indigenous uh, crowd who, you know, there's so many of our people who can't have a fire in their backyard because of rent and all of these other things, right? So um, I just open that up to anybody who I don't know if they burn their hair or they need to let go of something that needs to go in a sacred fire, or just want to sit around fire and have potluck, whatever. <laughs> so. <laughs> Anyway, I miss you both and I can't wait to see you again and I can't wait to promote the December one and um, now I have a goal to work for get my banner, Yay. get my get you paid and and be a part <laughs> of that. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Awesome. I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions and included cultural safety training or cultural first aid in all of them to create a safer space for Indigenous people of color, those with disabilities and LGBTQ2 plus to speak. 
caretohelp.bc.ca has a great piece on what is Indigenous cultural safety, why I should care about it. And I want to say thank you to authors Cheryl Ward, Chelsea Branch, and Alicia Fritkin for creating those action tools that, you know, at this point, well, I don't know how non-Indigenous don't know how to be um, able to advocate properly for uh, their part in reconciliation and settler understandings. I'm just lucky enough to highlight and repeat them here. Internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized folks experience because of the structure of racism imposed on these lands. You can go to What is Internalized Racism um, by Donna Bevins. She has uh, so many resources on racialequitytools.org. Uh, do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by American Friends Service Committee. So if you are seeing uh, somebody being yelled at on C train and it's clearly an oppression dynamic, you can go to AFSC.org and go to do's and don'ts for bystander intervention to try to intervene in a positive way without calling the police. If you're in Alberta and you see or experience racism, you can report it at acttoendracism.ca or text at 587-507-3838. Uh, lots of white pride uh, stickers going up all over, so please make sure you're reporting those so that we have some sort of uh, way to track that. Indigenous have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with gender equity plus, if they are cutting prevention, um, uh, violence prevention programs, uh, services, Indigenous education, uterus health choices, going after gay-straight alliances, um, have a lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities, know that your vote for that party or person is directly negatively impacting marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action. The recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform and violence prevention, and now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on MMIW, G2. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the justice, education, and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, sexism, they have literally zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community associations. Holy cow, I just told that story. Uh, sports clubs, etc. A really great uh, article I said out loud was uh, Truth Before Truth, how non-Indigenous Canadians become allies. Literally, since I said that in episode 62 to today, there are numerous um, Google's searches if you say how to become an ally to Indigenous people. Like it, it's, it's just willful at this point, folks. If you're experiencing emotional distress after anything we talked about today and want to talk, you can call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll-free and open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also text at hopeforwellness.ca. If more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, you can call 844-413-6649. Also, if you're non-Indigenous, there are distress center lines in your area, usually a functioning 211, or you can call 833-456-4566. 60 Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta is ssisa.ca. And 
There are LGBTQ2 plus crisis supports that you can go to. Thank you to the Trevor Project. Um, you can go to lifevoice.ca and you can find the Trans Lifeline um, at 877-330-6366. And for LGBTQ2 plus use, 866-844-7386. And I should also mention that our Pride is coming up here on September 4th. And um, if you're a youth, there's an organization called You Say, and uh, you know, NDP liberals, we're all gonna have floats. And um, yeah, just really encourage you to come march with us and support LGBTQ2+, because um, their rights are under attack and that's not okay. Also, we're experiencing overdose crisis. Uh, there's two apps that you can download. One is called Brave and the other is DORS. And you can also call the National Overdose Response Service at 888-688-NORS. Please do not use alone. If you are, please use that number or those apps. And um, if you are a status First Nation in Alberta, you have access to a Narcan a day. Just talk to your pharmacist about it. I do that and I try to donate as many as I can to uh, Bear Clan, uh, but I also give them freely to folks who are asking for money whenever you stop your vehicle or if you're on the C train station. Um, these are places that I give my note. And in fact, I give out seven um, a week, but I, I still have to get naloxone kits. Every single Albertan has access to a naloxone kit. All you have to do is go to your local pharmacist and grab it and please give them out freely to folks who are, are needing them uh, because it is actually hard for them to access these things. Uh, violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. This is self-care, how I take my power back. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption, tone police, leadership shaming, gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure want to tell us theirs, even though they know nothing about the oppression dynamics or constant surveillance of our people. Um, I and many others share tons of info on microaggressions, so it's just unacceptable to say them anymore. Learn about being trauma-informed. Folks like me are dealing with internalized racism and gatekeeping. So there's so many things that people can do for reconciliation. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for me and folks with disabilities, LGBTQ2+, uh, uh, QT BIPOC and others. Masi Cho to my ancestors. Thank you to my granny and my mom for what strength looks like through your example. I don't have to go through half the stress they've ever went through. Um, I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, even though it pisses off everybody. Um, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. Just through her, I'm a second generation Calgarian. Thank you to Darcy, big Buffalo rock man, um, for producing, editing the show, and being my husband, childhood friend, father of our child, and my support down this journey of the Red Road. He has witnessed decades of racism and sexism and injustice. And to our child, Thunderpipe Necklace Woman, we are blessed to learn from you daily and are we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. And I just hope my family will be proud in the future of us trying to discuss these present day issues. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian where you can pledge and support. Thank you previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, Thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. I also have a YouTube channel. You can go and subscribe or you can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest pod 
cast. And then if you go on my social media, it's usually a pin post. And I'll end with giving a side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. My beautiful cousin once responded, hurry, you'd be in my dish. Thanks for listening, folks.